it's been a model that has worked remarkably well. I mean, like I said, you know, there are 30 islands to start and now there's over 240 sites over the course of 30 years. So it's something that's really worked for, I think, everyone involved. A, for us to be able to facilitate it. For the landowner, they sort of get this free stewardship to keep their, you know, little corner of paradise clean and, and well-maintained. And then, I mean, I think the biggest winners are the public, you know, there, there are all these spots that up until that point had been, you know, somewhat off limits or, or privatized as a lot of land in the States is. And so it's a real great sort of workaround and partnership to be able to increase the level of access to singularly beautiful spots, islands, you know, where I think there's no bigger sense of solitude when you get on an island and be able to camp on an island. and the sights and the sounds, it's really, it's something that you won't find anywhere else, I think, in the state. From the northern and easternmost coast in the United States, you're listening to Down East Viewpoints, a sense of place, a sense of self. Thanks for joining me, Claire Deal, Virginia College professor and summertime Down East resident, as I interview local people who are passionate about preserving and protecting the Gulf of Maine's bays, islands, and marine life. Today, my guest is Christina Hassett, Down East Regional Stewardship Manager for the Maine Island Trail Association, known by its acronym as MIDA. Part of MIDA's work, as we'll hear from Christina, is stewardship of the more than 200 islands that are a part of the watery trail that stretches along the coast of Maine. As a longtime MIDA member myself, I appreciate the work that Christina and her colleagues and a host of volunteers do to care for the islands that are part of the trail. I've spent many days kayaking to islands on the trail from the mid coast up to down east. It's been a real pleasure too to serve as a volunteer to help clean up and maintain islands in nearby bays. And it was in that capacity that I had the good fortune to meet Christina this summer. This summer I joined her and other volunteers to do some work on three islands nearby, Mistake Island, Norton Island, and today Rogers Island, just off Lubeck. We've spent several hours this morning and afternoon with shovels and hand saws, working to free, cut up, and then remove a huge fishing net, a bunch of metal pieces, and some other debris embedded in the rocks and trees along the shore. Now that the work is done and another volunteer is heading to the local transfer station with literally a boatload of trash, Christina and I are doing our interview at a local East Machias landmark. Archibald store, also known as Peanuts, and we're sitting outside. Because of COVID-19, indoor gathering spaces are limited, so please excuse the occasional truck, car horn, and wind noise that are part of our recording. So let's get started. Christina, thanks again so much for taking the time to talk with me after a busy day on the water. I'd like to begin, if you would, with sharing with us some of what you do as a regional stewardship manager for the Down East region. Yes, of course. As you said, I'm the stewardship manager for the Down East area, which my territory runs from Blue Hill Bay to basically Canada. Here we, we're here actually, sort of at the terminus of my uh, territory in Cobbsquick Bay. Um, and I manage kind of all the programs that we do that are stewardship based as far as getting volunteers out and you know, we do a lot of cleanup work on the islands and some of our coastal sites. And then um, we do a lot of trail building and maintenance and 
um, maintenance of campsites and really just facilitating um, as best we can being able to keep these sites open for public access because we really you know that's kind of our big goal is to manage these sites that we have created partnerships with the landowners to be able to open up and keep them open so that people you know here locals anyone who is lucky enough to be in Maine can get out to them um, if they have a safe way of doing so and it's a free beautiful resource uh, for people to enjoy. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the allure of islands, the romance of islands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you're not alone in that sentiment for sure. And I mean, might have started, you know, in the late 80s with just this small cohort of folks who also appreciated that really unique feature in Maine and um, basically started by approaching the state and asking, you know, if the state would kind of endorse having this water trail along the state-owned islands up and down the coast. So it started with like 30 islands that were just state, so they were public anyways. And wow. then um, this small group of folks started approaching um, other landowners, like maybe preserves or land trusts, and then even so far as to approach public or um, private landowners who had islands that, you know, maybe they weren't living on, didn't have any infrastructure, but historically people have used or camped or you know been out there for the day having a picnic and um, we sort of offer this partnership of we will provide stewardship through this really you know incredibly vast network of volunteers so we have so many hands and so many people who are eager to help keep these places clean and well cared for if they in turn allow their island or um, sort of coastal property mm -hmm. to be um, accessible and, and used by the public. And so um, it's been a model that has worked remarkably well. I mean, like I said, you know, there are 30 islands to start and now there's over 240 sites over the course of 30 years. So it's something that's really worked for, I think, everyone involved. A, for us to be able to facilitate it. For the landowner, they sort of get this free stewardship to keep their, you know, little corner of paradise clean and, and well-maintained. And then, I mean, I think the biggest winners are the public, you know, there, there are all these spots that up until that point had been, you know, somewhat off limits or, or privatized as a lot of land in the States is. And so it's a real great sort of workaround and partnership to be able to increase the level of access to, like you said, these really sort of singularly beautiful spots, islands, you know, where I think there's no bigger sense of solitude when you get on an island and be able to camp on an island and the sights and the sounds, it's really, it's something that you won't find anywhere else, I think, in the state. And this part of Maine, too, some of our, our listeners might know it as the Bold Coast when mm -hmm. we're way up here yeah. where we are. The, the postcard picture perfect crashing waves and craggy mm -hmm. cliffs and many of us can go mm -hmm make a reservation or for some sites just pop in and have our own little piece of paradise yeah most of them actually there it's the minority i think are ones where a landowner has indicated they would like to know if someone's camping there but most of them are kind of first come first serve and you know we're certainly not in um don't view it as our responsibility to sort of police it mm -hmm. in any way it's you know we open it up and just and that's sort of i think the grassroots um model that this was the whole organization is based off of is that the folks who use the islands will care for them. You mentioned to me before that you had served as a caretaker on Little Shabig Island for five years. 
Can you tell me a bit about what that experience meant to you in terms of your sense of place? It felt like I had a connection there with the land and that particular spot more than I have with anywhere else in the world. And I think that it just comes from, you know, gaining an intimacy that can only be gained through experience and putting the time in. And I didn't really, I think, ever approach it with that kind of mindset, like I'm going to become so entrenched mm -hmm. and know so much about the spot. But it sort of just came, you know, you spend so many nights there and so many days there and you really learn, you know, the habits and just sort of the seasons and going out there in the spring I knew exactly what to expect and could tell when you know the wind shifted around from the southwest to the northeast like fall's coming and there was a lot of just more intimate knowledge that I didn't find that I was really seeking out but sort of um, in hindsight realized that I had gained and that felt really um, powerful to have sort of unintentionally but yeah benefited from that knowledge that just came from yeah, spending time, like a lot, a lot of time in one spot and really gaining that kind of really deeper connection. It sounds like to me your sense of yourself, of who you are, is so intertwined with your connection with the natural world. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah, like yeah, and I was, yeah, I was kind of like musing on that earlier um, when we had talked, you know, back on that other volunteer day many, many weeks ago yes, now. Yes. Um, about some of these questions or thoughts about you know identity in the natural world and and so going out and actually having the experiences and being like being out in these places is so restorative in a way that I don't know that I could have found in doing anything else so just feeling very lucky that that you know that happened to be the case and um it sort of reinforced seeking it out more and more and so like I said, you know, in college was would go out and um, go camp or go hike and find that I think initially what I was looking for was, you know, spending time in, in lovely spots and spending time with friends. But as I would do it more and more, it was like the experience itself was, was so much more of a draw. And um, it just gives time to reflect in a way that I think is quiet and really um, helps you find yourself find an identity because I think when you're in these spaces it helps you find parts of yourself that maybe are hard to find when we're in some of our more busy kind of surroundings um, gives a lot of time for reflection and um, I think I feel the most relaxed and the most myself which sounds kind of like cliche but when I'm when I'm out mm -hmm. um, on the trail or you know out in the woods and it just allows for I think a sense of peace and a sense of um, a fewer expectations no one's expecting anything of you yeah I really love the way that you express that given that we're all dealing with COVID and folks are seeking ways of being outside and getting back to nature I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing in Maida in terms of people wanting to use the trail, wanting to also be outside. This year had a pretty significant influx of memberships, yeah. um, certainly, and just a lot more call, you know, I think a lot of people bought boats. A lot of people were yes. looking. If there's one thing, you know, where can I go to get away from everybody? 
these islands are pretty obviously in your face when you're on the coast of Maine, like, oh, a deserted island. Like, why? <laughs> like, there. there's, yeah, there's the answer. And so, um, you know, we've been fortunate in a lot of ways that, uh, that there is this interest, but I think there was a lot of concern from folks inside and kind of outside of Maida that either these places would be loved to death, you know, people are going out and maybe not going out um, without sort of the that instillment of leave no trace and, mm -hmm. and kind of respectful use. Um, I hadn't quite identified how much reward I get from the community of, that I have um, gained. And so, you know, there's the folks I work with and the volunteers who are all very um, uh, directly involved with MIDA. But sometimes, you know, you get out on the trail and you're, if I'm working or even not working, and you meet people who are out on the island and realize just how much they're out there because they love it too and you're out there because you love it and so immediately there's this like human connection of just love of place so frankly you know i think the more people who know about these places and know how to respectfully enjoy them i kind of think the better i wonder though have you ever had an experience as part of your work where maybe it wasn't such a great thing that there were lots of people out there having fun um I was caretaking around Little Shabig, and um, like I said, the island is quite busy, gets a lot of use, and kind of in contradiction to my point earlier of like, oh, the great community that sometimes I meet out there, sometimes people roll up and, you know, like, they're out there for one thing, and they're just gonna have a big party. And there's one instance where uh, this group came out um, very late, and it was already dark. I was kind of doing rounds on the beach. I'll, typically like a I guess a, a night um, as a caretaker you know people come up and they set up camp and I'll go down and chat with kind of each group and give them a little history of the island and kind of the do's and don'ts you know asking them to just pick up their stuff and not burn trash and kind of xyz lots of just kind of common sense stuff but I was down there chatting with a group and this other group like 10 folks kind of ambled up and they were setting up camp in the dark and um, trying to light a fire with just like some wet wood that they had found so it was not lighting but I was I remember specifically I was chatting with one it was dark I was chatting with a with someone like kind of next to this fire that was trying to be lit and um, whomever in their group was trying to light the fire was having such a hard time of it they got some like stove fuel oh um and this i wasn't really watching but you know he pours all this basically white gas on the stove and then lights it and the whole thing it was i don't even really remember exactly what happened because it was like right in front of me but it was just like giant fireball the whole front of me is like on fire oh my God. and so like down on the ground like everyone's like beating and i'm like stop drop and roll and um, <laughs> it was, I mean, it's funny now, I was, I was fine. Like I suffered like a tiny little burn on my thumb, but that, I would say that was pretty harrowing. And you know, it only happened once over the course of five years. That probably wasn't part of the, how to be a caretaker. It on wasn't in the manual. Training. No, no, I didn't, yeah, there wasn't anything in the manual about that. But like, you know, just people are out there and, it was, you know, it was fine because I was fine. But uh, oh, yeah, stuff that like that happens. Yeah, there's, you know, Sadly. there's for sure some safety concerns when you're out there. But um, yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Right, <laughs> I have right. to say on that occasion. I was going to say one of the things that has impressed me on our, our three maybe cleanups, two or yeah. three, is your 
you are just, I mean, this is your gig and you're going to make it happen. And you're literally driving the boat and driving the trailer mm -hmm. and hauling the trash. Yeah. And, you know, as a petite person, a woman, mm -hmm. a young woman, mm -hmm. that's so wonderful to see, for people to see, you know, a very strong woman in charge of these kinds of things. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's definitely... And you just take it with what comes. You yeah. might be flustered on the inside, yeah. but I would never, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, that's good to know. Fine about <laughs> yeah, sometimes whatever is happening it is troubling. But yeah, and that's something for sure that is, you know, cultivated and just through doing it over and over again, you kind of learn to just manage those stresses, I think, and what's, you know, um, what's kind of coming at you left, right and center. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's, it's a nice place to be in, you know, 10 years in where I feel like there is not much that I haven't seen or maybe that's too uh, cavalier but it feels that I feel like I could probably you know there's a, at least within my realm of you know my duties as a as a stewardship manager that um, I've seen a lot and you know dealt with a lot of experiences and it's nice to feel like there um, there's something that I can draw from my history in dealing with you know whatever happens to come up and when there's not you sort of just you make do oh, well. and you kind of like pull on the most relevant knowledge you have and, and deal with it. And, you know, I think that's kind of a, a skill that's probably even more helpful than, you know, have I dealt with this exact problem before in the past is trying to just be able to manage the unexpected. We could talk for a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I see that the Mida trailer with no more trash oh. loaded in oh, it good. has come back. <laughs> so that's good. Let me, let me end by asking sure. you um, if you would share one more thing with us. I was listening to a speech that Peter Forbes, the mm -hmm. conservationist, gave. Yeah. He began with a litany of place names. Okay. So it was like, you know, who, who am I? Let me introduce myself, he said. Mm -hmm. I am. And then he started naming places and bodies of water and mountain ranges oh, and it was so beautiful yeah. and so I'm sitting there as the virtual audience member thinking oh I'm from Cumberland Island, mm -hmm. Nantahala River, mm -hmm. Tuckaseegee, mm -hmm. Little Kennebec Bay. Yeah. So so how would you introduce yourself? Oh gosh. Yeah I mean I would say I'm from Casco Bay. Mm -hmm. um, little Shabi, Jewel. Yeah, those are those are the big ones. Yeah, I, yeah. I grew up in Yarmouth, so it really feels like oh. kind of a singular spot right for there. me. Yeah, but no, that's a that's a really beautiful and more I think um, transparent way of introducing yourself. Thank you so much. That is just lovely. I guess we need to wrap things up. So before we go, I wonder if you can let folks know what they need to do if they want to learn more about MIDA, they want to become a volunteer, or they simply want to visit an island. Where should they go to learn more? If you go to MIDA.org, M-I-T-A.org, um, that has a lot of information on where to go if you want to get involved in kind of the volunteerism aspect of it, actually, you know, get out on the islands, um, but there's a lot of other ways, you know, to get involved as well. And um, I think you can info or email info at mida.org and um, just tell us how you want to get involved. And, awesome. you, and that will 
be directed to, you know, the most appropriate um, staff member. Um, but yeah, we're always looking for volunteers. Um, this year, a great way to, to help out. And we're, you know, as long as we can, we are happy to facilitate that for people. It's, it's pretty addictive. There's a sense of satisfaction, mm -hmm. but it's a great boat ride. Mm -hmm. You get to meet new people all mm -hmm. doing the same thing. And I think that's a, a wonderful part of it, the feel-good part, but also seeing these, like you've explained, it's a singular experience camping on an island. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Christina. Thank you so much, yeah. For joining us, and we hope to see you guys out on the water. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I hope you'll join me again for the next episode of Downey's Viewpoints. If you'd like to contact me, Claire Deal, please email me at downeysviewpoints at gmail.com. Until then, take good care of yourself and the wild and beautiful places you love.